Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam wa rasulullah. You're listening to Islam tomorrow. And we're talking on the subject on how the Muslims should respond to the various atrocities and ill treatment that we are receiving toward the Quran, toward our beliefs, toward Allah, the way people are treating Islam in general, the things that they're saying against us. And how should we respond? We've been talking about essentially and specifically on the subject of what has been admitted to by the United States Pentagon that, in fact, the people in Guantanamo Bay and Abu Ghraib and other places have desecrated the Quran, at least to some extent, and they're admitting that now. They're admitting that they've used this as a way of torturing the people to upset them as a way of... uh, trying to break down their uh, suspects and to interrogate them. And they've admitted to a number of atrocities in these cases. So, how should we as Muslims respond? What what should we do? And, and how should, uh, you know, how should we treat this situation? And what I've tried to do is present a way that we can respond not just specifically to this but to to all of their uh, their carryings on and what they do and what I've said about this is that when people come to us it's not the same as if we go to them if we're going out in the field to make da'wah this is one approach and it has certain specifics or minhaj or methodology that goes with it in Islam. But when they come to us to ask questions, then uh, there's a different approach here because uh, it's, it's much more delicate. They have come to us seeking information. Regardless of their attitude, we have a responsibility in front of a law on how we treat them. We cannot be harsh on these people even if they're being harsh with us. I want to give two examples. The first example is when the Prophet ﷺ went out. He went out to call people to Islam and when he did he took someone with him and he went to a place called Ataif. And when he got there he visited with Arabs who were distant relations to him and he wanted to share with them the message of Islam. However, the leaders of the community refused to give him the common courtesy that was well known to be established by the Arabs that when anybody came as a guest that you had to give them a place of refuge for three days and three nights, food, lodging, and all the rest of it, and sanctity. You had to give them safe refuge because that was part of their culture, their custom. However, these people broke tradition because of their uh, refusal to even listen to the message of Islam. And in so doing, they said that they didn't want to talk to him because they said, well, he might, uh, if he is a prophet, then, you know, our bad treatment of him wouldn't be right. And if he's not a prophet, then why should we waste our time talking to a fool? And that's how they laughed it off. Then they sent the street urchins, the poor children of the street, out against him and had them to pick up rocks and throw rocks on him. Now, you know, uh, 
it's very clear that this is a bad way to treat somebody, to throw rocks at them. This is one of the cruelest punishments there is, is to stone someone. And that is what they caused to, to happen to our Prophet ﷺ. Here he'd gone with a message of peace and love and stuff that, that comes with Islam. And the response he gets is to be driven out of town, being uh, driven out by these children, throwing rocks on him, to the extent that his body was bleeding so bad that it was filling blood up in his sandals. Now, in the midst of this, Allah sends an angel to Muhammad وسلم, and the angel tells him, you know, all you have to do is say the word. Say the word and Allah will cause the mountains around Ataif to cave in on those people. And he did not accept that. Instead, he raised his hands and he made dua. He prayed for them and asked Allah to guide them. So this is his approach when he goes out. How much more compassion could you imagine? Well, believe it or not, he had even more compassion when people came to him, came to the masjid, um, and this was at a time in Medina, when someone there wanted to know about Islam, came into the masjid, the place where Muslims pray and put their head on the ground. This man had no respect whatsoever, for the masjid or Islam or the Muslims. He needed to relieve himself. He wanted to go to the bathroom. So he just did so right there in front of everybody and urinated on the ground there. Now this shocked some of the companions and they wanted to cut his head off. They were upset. But the Prophet, peace be upon him, stopped them and told them to let him finish and then afterwards to clean it up and then just to tell him that this is a place where we put our heads down and not to do that here. It's not the place for it. Now, that's super compassion. I mean, we're talking about a, a very despicable, gross act by someone who, even the cruelest of people, crudest and, and uncultured, would know better than to do something like that. And the Prophet didn't blame him, didn't reprimand him, just said this isn't the place we do that and explained why. Can you imagine that? I dare say that if anyone would go into a church or a temple or a synagogue and do anything even remotely close to this, they would do more than just lecture them. They would <laughs> they'd be lucky to get out alive. And you know that as well as I do. So this demonstrates uh, to us now something that when people come to us, even though they may appear to be harsh, we have to give a lot of consideration to them. The respect, honor, and dignity for them has to be at the very top because this is their chance to learn about what is the real Islam. This is their big chance. Okay, now, another point. When people are coming to us and they're saying, well, why do you Muslims do this and why do you do that? Why does your book say so-and-so? How come you kill people? Why do you blow up stuff? Why are you terrorists? Why do you worship a black box in the desert? Why do you kiss the ground five times a day? Why do you make such a big deal out of your Quran? And Okay, now... There are a lot of, a lot of uh, opportunities for us uh, 
to be real smart aleck with these people. And in fact, I've seen that in some of the chat rooms when Muslims respond in the most despicable way. I mean, really, hatred. And they try to excel. They want to go one step further even than the anger and the hatred that was brought to them. It becomes anti-Dawah. It's against the Dawah of Islam. Most of these chat rooms are so bad, and this is why we've, we've maintained our own chat rooms on our website and have strict rules about it, because we don't want that kind of thing to keep going on. It shouldn't be like that. If you visited a chat room where people are talking about sewing or working on their automobile or a chat room where people are discussing the weather, you don't find this. But when you get into the subject of Muslims, talking about Islam or Christianity or Judaism or Hinduism, you find so much of this bad language. Now, I don't care who starts it. It's up to us to stop it or leave these rooms. We shouldn't be involved in this kind of thing. In fact, what we did was to come up with a way to answer all of these uh, gross accusations and harsh statements and questions against Islam and I'd like to present one of them for you right now and this is uh, on our website at Islam Always it's number 69 I think in our articles but you can find it real easy by going to the search engine type the word harsh and then go to the article that deals with what does Islam say about killing pagans and infidels okay now, if you go to that page where I'm at now, you'll find what it says about that. Somebody asked us, what does Islam say regarding the killing of pagans or infidels, non-believers and others? And they sent it to askislam at AOL.com, which is one of our email names. <coughs> the response back for us is to say before we begin it's important to begin in the name of Allah and send the prayers and blessings upon Muhammad Sallallahu then it's equally important to mention that it is only Allah who has all knowledge now we can suggest to them if we're online to go to our website and download a free copy of the Noble Quran it's available and we can give them the link then we go to the verse in question and read the Arabic for them. Then the English translation. And we also have transliteration to help make the sounds with English letters so they can get an understanding of what was actually said. Then compare the meaning to what they have said. Here's an example that you might want to use to answer these folks when they come with a harsh question to you. First of all, tell them, thank you for your interest in Islam and the Muslims. Now, that'll throw them off right away. They go, huh? What do you mean, thank you? I mean, <laughs> I came here to, to basically cut you guys down, and, and now here you're treating me in this way. And you say, thank you for your interest in Islam and the Muslims. Now, you see the menhaj, the methodology for that? It's our duty and privilege to present the truth and the proof about Islam and what it represents. Our desire is to clear up misconceptions and the misunderstandings about Islam to help others see the true message that came with all the prophets of Adam, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad. Peace and blessing be upon them all. 
the message that all these prophets brought was, now you can say the Arabic, La ilaha illallah. That there is no God, there is none that has the right to be worshipped except Allah. No gods beside God. Now that's in their book. That's in the Ten Commandments, in the book of Deuteronomy, and the book of Exodus. It's also in the book of Mark. And Jesus is telling them the same thing, that the greatest commandment is to have full worship and devotion, full love for Allah alone without any partners. And he told them, Know, O Israel, that your God is one Lord. And you have to worship Him or you have to love Him with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. So that lets them know right away that we're saying essentially this is the same thing you guys are saying and it's in, it's very important to us. And then continue and say, before we answer your question though, we want to ask you a question ourselves. If while you're listening to this answer, you find yourself saying something like, gee, I didn't know that, or that sounds pretty good, or I like that for me, then are you going to be prepared to accept the message of worshiping your Lord without any partners? After all, that is what Islam is really all about. Now let us begin by answering uh, the question by correcting some mistakes in the question itself. The word used most often in Quran that is so often translated as kill or slay or slaughter is not the word jihad. The word is kital. If you look at Arabic, you'll quickly understand this word in today's usage would clearly be the word combat. Combat. Kital could be translated as the word combat. And naturally, just as here in the United States, we must stand up for righteousness and strive to prevent oppression, aggression, and tyranny. And this is the same understanding that we are using when we talk about it in the Quran. This is the proper usage and understanding of this term as you will discover while passing through the explanation or tafsir of the top scholars of the Quran. Now, once this is in place, there really isn't a question anymore due to the necessity, as we see today, to prevent and subdue enemies of freedom, liberty, and justice. In other words, we could easily say that Islam declared the first war against terrorism 1400 years ago. And by the way, it's called jihad. Now you'd be surprised how many of these people just in this simple explanation go, huh? Wait a minute, what are you saying? We are saying when there is aggression and oppression on a people, when there is terrorism, that Islam has provided a way to deal with it 1400 years ago. That is when the people must come to the front line with their weapons and be prepared to defend what is right and righteous. To demand rights and demand proper actions and moral society. This is the obligation of every Muslim. As our Prophet ﷺ told us, that whenever one of you sees a munkar, he, he must stop this munkar by his hand 
And if he's not able, then he must speak out against it. And if he's not able to do this, then he must hate it with all his heart. And this is the weakest of faith. Now, Munkar, I left it in Arabic language for a reason, because many times this has been manipulated and misused. Munkar, in this case, according to the ulama, have explained it to me that this Munkar means when there is the kind of aggression, oppression, and terrorism which would take people out of Islam or prevent people from being to lead good and righteous lives. That's why it's an essential ingredient here. It's not a suggestion. It's an order of Allah for you to stop it at whatever the cost. You must prevent this kind of action. So it's not something small. This is something very serious. But as our President of the United States made it very clear, it's a serious thing when people commit terrorism against the United States. And he orders the troops to respond back and go in and kill people and tear down buildings and blow up things in, in the name of fighting terrorism and detaining hundreds of thousands of people and uh, putting other people on hold and uh, I don't know what all, but all of this is what is being done today in the name of fighting terrorism. But for Islam, for Muslims, we have limits. We're not allowed to just go out here in discretion, you know, just thrown to the wind and just do whatever we'd like to do. As a matter of fact, the order for this Kital first appears, if you go in chronological order in the Quran, in Surah Baqarah. If you want to read it with me, you're welcome to do so. You can go to the ayah number is 191 when they quote it to you. When they come to you and they say, why does your book say you have to kill all the infidels, and meaning Jews and Christians? Okay, That's what they come to you. Why do you have to kill all the Jews and Christians? You know, you guys consider us infidels. Well, I have to tell you something. The word infidel is not an Arabic word and it doesn't appear in the Quran because it's not Arabic. Translators have used that, but it's uh, it's a corrupted uh, translation when you see something like that. The verse they talk about says, and kill them wherever you find them, and then in parentheses they say Jews and Christians. And that's all they give you, but that's not what it says. In fact, you have to go to the verses before it to properly understand it. You have to go all the way back to verse 189 in Surah Baqarah. Yasalunaka, Allah says, they're asking you, O Muhammad, Anil Ahililhi. They're asking about the Hilal, the, the, the new moons. Cool, say to them, these are signs to mark the fixed periods of time for mankind and for pilgrimage, for the Hajj. Okay, and that's the word. Wal Hajji. Allah uses the word. He's talking about Hajj. It is not al-bir that you enter your houses from the back. But it is al-bir that you fear Allah. So enter your houses through their proper doors and fear Allah that you'll be successful. Now you might say, well, I don't see the connection here, Sheikh. <laughs> he, he's talking about the new moons being the mark for Hodge, and then you're talking about entering your back doors. Um, what's that got to do with fighting? 
because Allah said Yasalunika, they're asking the Prophet about several questions. One of the questions they asked was about the new moons, and they were superstitious. People used to have superstitions about the new moons, and it is just to mark the time for such as pilgrimage and also to mark the time for Ramadan and so on. <coughs> now, the next thing they had asked about going through the back doors because they thought that was very righteous for a man to humble himself by entering the back door of his house. And Allah saying, no, that, that's not right. You enter it through proper doors and fear a law if you want to be successful. To Flihun, Allah said. Then it says, Wa qatilu fi sabilillah alladini yukatilunakaum wala ta'tadu inna allaha la yuhibbul al-muhtadin. It says, And du kital, I'm going to leave it in Arabic for a minute, sabilillah, in the way of Allah, those who do kital against you. But don't transgress limits that are set by Allah. Truly, Allah does not like these transgressors. Now, in the Tafsir it says that this is the first verse that was revealed in connection with Jihad, but it was supplemented by another verse in Surah Tawbah, chapter 9, verse 36. I want to go back now and tell you that the meaning of this is that you do combat in the way of Allah against those who are combating against you. Those who have presented themselves to fight and slay and kill you, then you are to do this back to them to stop them. But don't transgress limits. Verily Allah does not love the transgressors. Now, keep going. Because we haven't even got to the verse yet that the people told us about. We go to Waktuluhum. And this means, and kill them, meaning in, in combat, wherever you find them. And turn them out from where they turned you out. Now that's very obvious. This is not talking about Jews and Christians. Why? Well, <laughs> did any Jews or Christians turn the Muslims out of their homes? No. The ones that did that were the Mushrikeen, the pagans, the idolaters. And that is the word when we talk about Infidel. In English, we are talking about pagans and idolaters. We are not talking about Jews and Christians because they have been labeled by Allah in the Quran as people who are on the monotheistic faith, as they had been originally Muslims themselves, meaning to submit to God on God's terms, doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven. So this is not talking about Jews and Christians anyway. It was talking about the people who had driven them out of their homes, people who had caused them great harm, killed them, tortured them, abused them, and basically struck terror into their hearts. But they had been forbidden for 13 years to fight back. Now comes the order telling them to go and do this. But you have to understand by reading the rest of it, and you'll understand more, it says... Wallah to Katiluhum Indal Masjidul Haram. Now, what does that mean? It says, and do not combat against them at the sacred 
mustard in Mecca. Unless, hatta, unless they first fight you there. But if they attack you, then kill them. In other words, if they're coming to kill you, because in Arabic it uses the word kital in both instances. Katilukum, if they come and kill you, faqtuluhum, then you can fight and kill them back. But you see, the translator translates it to say, if they fight, you kill them. Or if they attack, you kill them. And that's not correct. It's if, they come, if they're coming to kill you, then you can kill them. But again, you have these limits. And it says, and such is the payback for disbelievers. So, let's keep everything in the proper balance. Now, going back to that other verse in 189, it said real clear that they are asking you about these things. They had been asking about the moons entering the house this way and the fighting in the cause of Allah because they had not been allowed to fight. But finally, now they're going to be allowed to fight. But this is how and where and going back to the same thing. When you go for Hajj, you have to go to Mecca to go for Hajj. That's why the reference here to Masjid al-Haram and that's why they are being taught what not to do there. <coughs> it's not permissible to engage in any battle while you're in Hajj unless they do that to you first. But again, and now go to the next verse, 192. فَإِنِّي as Allah says, and for, but for sure, if they cease, then Allah is all forgiving, most merciful. Again, the stress here is on, if they stop, you have to stop. Next verse. وَقَاتِلُهُمْ حَتَى لَا تَكُونَ فِتْنَةً Now I want to focus on this word fitna for a minute here. It says, and fight them until there is no more fitna. And again, it's combat. You engage in them, or they're engaging with you until there's no more fitna. Now, the translators use uh, this word as disbelief or worshipping of other than Allah. And this is correct, but it has a problem because it says, and every kind of worship is for Allah alone. But if they cease, let there be no transgression except uh, against Avdali Moon. These are the polishists and wrongdoers. Let's come back to that just for a second. It means fitna includes terrorism. Like what's happened in the past, what we have seen, things happen that are just totally unacceptable, the horrible conditions, people killing people, people blowing up things. This is terrorism, and this is one of the types of fitna. And Allah says, fight until there is no more terrorism, no more fitna, no more aggression like this, no more oppression like that. Fight until then, but then you have to stop. And it says, and worship is for Allah, meaning that it's permissible and allowed for people to spread the message of Islam and to follow Islam, but it doesn't mean to fight them until they accept Islam. There have some translators have misunderstood that and explained it in the wrong way. If you said that, you would be contradicting a verse that comes up in just 60 more verses. 60, to be exact, 63 verses from right here. You find, La ikraha fadin kut the banner rustu minal hai. And that says clear the opposite. It says there is no compulsion. There's no such thing as forced conversion in Islam. 
So, you can't say that. This verse does not say that. What it says, fight in combat until there is no more fighting in combat against you, no more oppression, no more fitness, specifically using the word fitness. And this is a perfect word to describe terrorism. So, this is the order to fight terrorism right here. But if they cease, Allah says, let there be no transgression against Adalimun. Even though they're Adalimun, if they stop, you can't transgress against them. You can't lock them up in a prison and strip their clothes off and parade them around like dogs. And for sure, and I know that every Muslim knows this, but for the benefit of the non-Muslims that may hear this, I have to tell you, there's no such thing in Islam that we would ever permit anyone to desecrate the Bible the Old Testament, the New Testament, or the Psalms in any way, shape, or form. Whoever would do such a thing, even the translation of these books, even the corrupted books, we still cannot do something like that because we would have to deal with that on the Day of Judgment. Allah continues, next verse 194, The sacred month is for the sacred month. And for the prohibited things, there is a law of kisas, or equality. Then whoever transgresses prohibition against you you transgress likewise against him in fear Allah and know Allah is with al-mutakun and those who are having taqwa for Allah so again Allah comes back from verse 189 where he talked about the hilal that yasalunika they are asking you about the halal then those uh, sacred months and they're doing the hajj and here it's coming right back to the same subject the sacred months uh, is for sacred month. That means that he's talking about things in Hajj. Things that are prohibited, there is a law of equality. Kisas uh, is the, the Arabic word for this. Retribution. Whoever transgresses the prohibition against you, you can then transgress likewise against him. But fear a law. And no, Allah is only with those who are having taqwa for him, God-fearing people. Next verse. And spend in the cause of Allah. And do not throw yourselves in destruction by not spending in the cause of Allah. And do good. Truly, Allah loves al-muhsinun. And these are the people who have, uh, you know, good, do, good deed-doers. <laughs> The good guys. Okay. Then it continues to talking about Hajj and it says, and perform properly the Hajj and Umrah, the pilgrimage to Mecca for Allah. But if you're prevented from being able to do this, such as in the case of the Prophet and his companions were prevented from continuing their Hajj, then you have to sacrifice your animal, distribute the meat to the poor, such as you can afford. Don't shave your heads until the sacrificial animal reaches the place of sacrifice that so people are able, you know, get a chance to eat. And whosoever of you is ill or has the ailment in the scalp must pay a fidya, which is a, a by fasting three days or giving sadaka for the poor or offering some other sacrifice. And then if you are in safety, whoever performs the omrah in the months of hajj, before the hajj, this is called Hajjatamatu. Uh, or you can do another way, Hajj, which is called Al-Kiran. 
then he must slaughter a hadi such as he can afford, but if he cannot afford it, he should fast three days during Hajj and seven days after his return, making ten days in all. This is for him whose family is not present at the Masjid al-Haram. He's not resident. And fear Allah much and know that Allah is severe in punishment. Allah continues in the next words talking about Hajj. So he opened up the subject about Hajj and he's still going on about Hajj. And in the next verse after that, and the next verse after that, and the next verse after that. So, go and look at the verses and you'll understand that this was specifically talking about Muslims were finally allowed now to fight and retaliate against those who had been fighting them for 13 abusive years who had done the most horrible acts against them of aggression, transgression, and terrorism, taken their families, killed them, tortured them, stolen their property, etc., etc. And now they were given permission within limitations on how to respond. That's all these verses are talking about. So let's put it in context. Now, I want to move forward a little bit. And that is to go up to verse 216. And it says, It says, Jihad is ordained for you, though you dislike it. And this is a wrong translation. Jihad is an Arabic word. And it did not appear. You did not hear me say it because it's not there. Kutiba alaykum. It means it has been ordered for you, ordained, a commandment of Allah. This is the same way he starts out the verse talking about fasting. Kutiba alaykum asyam. That fasting has been ordered for you. That's in verse 183 in Baqarah. And here it's the same thing. That ordered for you is al kitalu wahua kurhun lakum. And it's saying that kital is ordained for you, ordered for you, though you dislike it. And it may be that you dislike a thing which is good for you, and that you like a thing which is bad for you. Allah knows what you don't know. I want you to look at that. It doesn't say jihad. The translator said that because he he calls it Islamic holy war. There is no Islamic holy war. This is not a holy war where you get dressed up like the crusaders did a thousand years ago when they marched into Jerusalem and killed all the Muslims and Jews there. This is not something where they get all dressed up like they did at the Inquisition 500 years ago in Spain and killed the Muslims there. This is a bad translation. It doesn't say that in Arabic. And it doesn't matter what you want it to say. It doesn't say that. It's very clear that it's talking about Kital, which is combat, which is in response to people doing combat to you. And Allah has ordered you to do this combat to fight terrorism, even though you don't like it. And it may be you dislike a thing which is good for you, and you like a thing that's bad for you. Allah knows, but you don't know. If you're wondering where does this come from, by the way, these, uh, this translation is based very heavily on one of the students of Ibn Taymiyyah, 
the student of Ibn Taymiyyah by the name of Ibn Kathir. <coughs> and Ibn Taymiyyah was very much into jihad because he spent most of his life either doing it or teaching people about it because he lived at a time when the Mongols had come in and taken over the Islamic Empire over in the eastern area, which is now uh, Russia and uh, Mongolia and uh, Afghanistan. And they had slaughtered the Muslims terrible, even killing the Khalifa at the time. And Ibn Taymiyyah was one of those who really led the troops for a number of years, fighting hard and finally winning against them, okay? And he was a scholar. But he does have a lot of emphasis on this and, and very uh, easily throws the word jihad out here, assuming that his students are understanding what he's talking and what ben vernacular he's speaking in. <clears throat> the next verse, 217, says, Yasalunika. Again, it's going back to what we said in uh, verse 189. Yasalunika means they are asking you, Muhammad. And this means that, uh, that Allah is about to give the answer. And this is not from the Prophet, this means Allah is saying it. They ask you concerning fighting in the sacred months. And again, the word, what we're talking about here is Kitalun fi hi ki kabirun. And that's, I wanted you to hear the Arabic. Kitalun fi hi kabirun. That does not say jihad. Okay? It clearly says the same word again. <coughs> this word, kital, is combat. The fighting in combat against those who fight you. It say, and it says, say, fighting therein is a great transgression. Meaning that you cannot fight during sacred months. You cannot do combat. But, then Allah says, but a greater transgression. And that word kabir was used to be great, you see. It says, a greater transgression in the sight of Allah is to prevent mankind from following the way of Allah to disbelieve in him, to, to prevent access to Masjid al-Haram. Meaning that people would not be allowed to go and make their hajj. People would not be able to go and worship Allah. And so when that happens, then is when the Muslims are allowed, even in their ihram or state of pilgrimage, are allowed to go ahead and engage in this kital or combat. Allah continues, he said, that, that it's worse that you know, in the sight of Allah, the prevention of mankind from being able to follow the way of Allah, the deen of Allah, and forcing people to disbelieve in Allah, preventing access to the haram, the masjid for pilgrimage, and to drive out the inhabitants, and all fitna is worse than killing. Meaning to stand by and watch people being raped, abused, tortured, and terrorism done to them. So when this fitness, this terrorism is so bad, then Allah is saying, this is worse. You cannot stand by idly and watch this go on. And they will never cease doing this combat to you until they turn you back from your religion, from the deen of Islam, if they could. And whosoever of you turns back from his religion and dies as his disbeliever, then his deeds will be lost in this life and hereafter, and they will be the dwellers of the fire. 
They will live there forever. Now, keeping it in context, you see, this still is dealing in the same subject, talking about those people who have done horrible acts against the Muslims, and it never said anything about Jews and Christians, not once, because they weren't Jews and Christians, they were pagan idolaters. Now, guess what? About this time is when somebody's going to say to me, gee, I didn't know that. Gee, I didn't understand that. That wasn't explained to us before. We didn't know. We thought it was for you guys were supposed to kill us as Jews and Christians. And, you know, you've been ordered to destroy us wherever we are, seek us out and put terror in our hearts. And you say, no, not at all. In fact, I would like to read to you what Allah says. Just a little bit farther down in the Quran, you go to Surah Al-Imran, the next Surah, chapter 3, verse 110. Allah says, Allah says, Kuntum khayra umatin ukhrijat linnasi ta'maruna bilmaruf wa tanhawna anhil munkar wa tukminuna billah wa lau amana ahlul kitabi la kana khayra lahum Minhumul mu'minuna wa aktarhumul fasikun. You are the best of people raised up. Talking about the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and his followers, those that follow the Quran and the Sunnah. You're the best of the people raised up for mankind because you order, you command, and enjoin people to do al maruf. What is al maruf? It means to call to this way of Allah that we were just talking about. To call to the righteousness, to order that people be allowed to worship Allah, and to keep this avenue available for people to learn about Allah and to propagate this message of worshiping God alone without partners. And you forbid al-munkar. That means anything which is disbelief and takes people away from Allah and keeps people from being able to know about Allah or worship Allah and go to the holy place. What took me to Allah? And you believe in Allah. And this is the only ayah in the entire Quran that subjugates the belief in Allah to any action whatsoever. These two actions of, of ordering al-maruf and forbidding al-munkar come ahead of the belief in Allah. What took me to Allah? And then Allah refers to the people of the book. The Jews and Christians are referred to here. And had the people of the book, the Jews and Christians, believed, it would have been better for them. Among them are some who do have a man faith in Allah. But most of them are rebellious against Allah's commandments. They're fasikun. So Allah here states that they had received the same message before and had they stuck to it and been upright and righteous and held to this very important issue of worshipping Allah alone without partners, it would have been better for them. But you'll find most of them are fasik, disobedient, rebellious against Allah's commandments. And that is true. Most Christians don't even go to church, and that's one of their one of their commandments is they have to go and worship on Sunday. But they didn't do it. They were ordered very clearly not to eat pork. But they came up with an excuse and said it's okay for them to do it. They were ordered to do circumcision, but they came up later and said, No, we don't have to do that. They were ordered never to take the Lord their God's name in vain. But many of them curse 
and use Allah's name in this way. They were ordered not to make any kind of statues or sentiments or anything on this earth or in the sea beneath the sky above. None of that in any way connected with worship. You, you can go in a church today and find a man on a cross, a bird on a, on a limb, a, an olive branch, and you can find even a picture of a fish and they're telling you all of these are symbols for their worship. But they were ordered not to do it. There are many, many commandments of Allah that they rebel against. They were ordered for their women to cover up, especially the religious women. They were told to cover themselves. <laughs> it's very clear in the New Testament. But they rebel against that. So, Allah did not say anything here that we can't prove very, with common sense. We can just look around and point and say, look, Allah talks about He created the trees and He created the earth and He created the rivers. He created the mountains. He talks about His creation. You can look at Him and see. You don't believe it's a mountain? Go look at it. He talks about the problem, very big problems of the people before us in that they lied about their prophets, they killed their prophets and said about them what they didn't have the right to say. Well, you want to argue about that? You can read it in the Bible. The Bible says it itself in the Bible. <laughs> this gives us a little bit of insight in how we deal with these questions. Now, of course, I don't expect that everybody's going to have memorized as much uh, maybe as some of the scholars have. And maybe you won't remember everything that I've said today. But certainly this gives you at least enough that you can talk about the subject intelligently and let people know what we as Muslims are all about. The bottom line, go back to where we started with them. Thank you for asking me about my religion. Islam is all about worshiping God without partners. To know that He is one God and one Lord. He's your God and my God. Your Lord and my Lord. We have to worship Him alone without any partners. That's our message. And so many times, Wallahi, they heard this message and they said, well, gee, that's what I already believed. We said, yes. They said, well, then, how come you guys this and that? You said, listen, a lot of what you're hearing isn't true. I just shared with you exactly what the Quran says and you know that what you got out of a book or off the internet didn't say that. It said something else. So let's be fair. And let's deal square and really look at the truth. And that's the best way to approach the whole thing. I'm going to sum it up with that. You've been listening to Islam tomorrow. We've been talking about dealing with harsh questions and, and uh, you know, bad approach the way people come to us and what our retaliation should be. When they come to us, we have to open a way for them to see this message. And you'd be surprised how many of them will say, well, gee, I didn't know that. Let me go back and think about it. You can give them the Quran. You can give them some literature. You can share with them our websites. We highly recommend that. And then let Allah guide them. Pray for them. And while you're at it, pray for us. Visit our internet websites, Islam Always, Islam Tomorrow, Islam Yesterday, and our newest website, chatislam.com. Our websites are open 24 hours a day, and there's always plenty of free parking. Till next time, Salaamu Alaikum Rahmatullah. You're very captive.